Welcome to Harper Academic Calling. I'm Michael Finan, Marketing Assistant with Harper Academic. Our podcast is designed to give educators, students, as well as every reader, a behind-the-scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up-and-coming debut writers, about their books. Harper Academic calling Ed Young. Ed Young is an award-winning science writer, and his book, I Contain Multitudes, takes us through the world of microbes. Each of us is home to a thriving community of microbes, which make up our microbiome. Contrary to popular opinion, these microbes are not all disease-carrying germs that must be eradicated. We spoke with Ed to have him tell us a little more about these multitudes we all contain. So on the phone right now, we have Ed Young, author of I Contain Multitudes. And Ed, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, fantastic. Uh, So microbes, they have had such an interesting history. They've gone from being largely unknown for the majority of our existence to very much ignored. And now it's becoming very much this fashionable field in science. That's right. Um, they, They were discovered around 350 years ago. Um, you know, they've been around for billions of years, obviously, um, for far longer than we have. Um, but we only became aware of their existence about 350 years ago. Um, and then we, we sort of believed that they were unimportant. Um, obviously, they're, they are very difficult to see. Um, and no one thought they amounted to very much. And then very quickly, people realized that um, they were, in fact, responsible for many of the most infamous diseases of humankind, things like plague and cholera, and syphilis and typhoid. And so we became, uh, we became convinced that they were villains and enemies that we had to destroy. And we became very good at doing that. Um, but it has now become clear that the vast majority of microbes as bacteria and other microscopic organisms, they are actually benign or beneficial to us. Only a very small minority cause disease, and in fact, um, a huge number of them uh, live in and on our bodies all the time, and they do really important things for us. They are are our partners in life, and if we don't understand them, then we don't really understand ourselves. Yeah, it's that's a it's a common misconception that you tackle very on, early on in the book. How, contrary to popular belief, all bacteria is not bad for us. Like you said, a lot of them are very useless. Um, they don't really do much, and then some of them are actually essential. Uh, one of the things that I found really fascinating was how the same microbes, in one context, can be very beneficial to us, but then if you put them somewhere else in the body, take them somewhere else, they suddenly become very dangerous. Right, absolutely. So those, uh, the bacteria inside our guts, for example, help to digest our food. They're actually really important for maintaining the health of the gut. So they calibrate the immune system. Uh, they reduce inflammation. They have all sorts of beneficial properties. Um, but if they cross the lining of the gut and enter our bloodstream, for example, they can cause inflammation and blood poisoning and sepsis and all kinds of bad stuff. So the very same microbes um, in a slightly different location, just a few a millimeter or so away, can turn from allies into enemies. And then some microbes play both roles, roles at the same time. There's a stomach bacterium called Halicobacter pylori, 
um, that causes ulcers and stomach cancer in some cases, but it can also reduce the risk of um, throat cancer and some other diseases too. Um, so, you know, it is, there's this very simplistic narrative about either bad bacteria that are germs that cause diseases or good bacteria that um, are beneficial to us. And it's really not that clear cut. You know, it's, it, we are just another habitat, another ecosystem for these things to live in, just like a drop of water or a lump of soil. And, you know, we often have very good um, positive relationships with them, but those relationships, like all of them, take work. They they need to be maintained. So how does um so how does all of that factor into how um, scientists, doctors, etc., should be dealing with microbes and bacteria? So at the moment, we have a very antagonistic approach towards them. So when people are sick, they get antibiotics, which are drugs that are meant to treat, uh, that are meant to kill bacteria. Um, they do work against the ones that cause disease, but they also have a lot of collateral damage against the ones that um, that are useful to us. Um, and antibiotics are used very uh, unsparingly um, for conditions where they actually are not useful for, like viral infections. So we just need to be very more, uh, a lot more careful about the the war that we wage against the microbial world. We also sanitize the world around us to um, a ridiculous degree with antibacterial wipes and gels and so on. And that, I think, is a little absurd. Um, it's, not, it's not to say that uh, cleanliness and hygiene are not important, but we take it too far. And we, by removing the bacteria that are a natural part of our environment, we might actually do ourselves a disservice um, because we, we need those microbes. They crowd out the ones that could cause disease. They're useful for training and educating our immune system. And perhaps um, getting rid of those microbes either with either with chemical treatments or by, um, you know, by doing things like eating the wrong diet or, or secluding ourselves from the outside world. We have, um, we have reduced to the diversity of microbial partners that live in our bodies and so um, increase our risk of things like um, inflammatory disorders or allergies or autoimmune disorders. Absolutely. And you talk at one point about hospitals and how that super cleanliness in the hospitals can actually make it worse. Right. Yeah, I think the, the, the general principle is um, the world around us is full of microbes. Um, and while our natural tendency is to see it as a bad thing, it isn't. It's just the way of the world. You remove those microbes, then you create um, vacancies that perhaps more dangerous species must be able to take up. And if you're in a hospital, that's bad news because those species are probably coming, going to come from the box of sick people. Um, so, you know, this is a sort of microcosm of, of the world as in, in general, where um, we sort of look at things that have microbes on them. You know, we, there are newspaper headlines all the time about um, how someone swabs a, a a subway seat or a keyboard or something like that and finds bacteria, that's a sign of dirt and, and disease. And in fact, it's not. It's just the, the way of the world. And it is the way of us too. Our bodies are home to trillions of microbes, you know, roughly one for each of our own actual human cells. And we, we need them. We depend upon them. We can't maintain this aggressive and negative stance towards them. 
So early on in the book, you talk, talk in talking about the history of microbes, you say that before humans, the, before the rise of humans, the world used to be ruled by microbes. Do you think mm-hmm. in a way it still is? Yeah, no, absolutely it is. Um, you know, my, microbes, um, so if I was to condense the entire history of life on Earth into a single calendar year, then life originated sometime in late February, maybe early March at the very latest. And for the vast majority of the rest of the year, it was entirely microbial. The, all the things that we know about, the animals and plants and stuff we can see, only arose in October or so. And then humans only arose in the last like few seconds of that year. So we are latecomers to life story, and microbes have always been the dominant force of life on Earth, and they still are. They still govern the cycling of things like sulfur and nitrogen around the world. So they produce much of the oxygen that you and I are now breathing, and they and they are in the bodies of every single animal we know, you know, your pets, livestock, all the things you see in the zoo, in natural history documentaries, all of those are covered by and filled with microbes. And all of them depend on microbes to build their bodies, to guard against disease, to, um, to uh, digest their food, and much, much more. Um, you know, we, you, you cannot um, conceive of a world without microbes because such a world would just be devoid of all the other life that we know, including ourselves. And then there are some of these symbioses where it seems like uh, these organisms that contain these multitudes of microbes, uh, it seems like the microbes are really running the show in some cases. Yeah, in some cases. I mean, it's hard to say, like, who's, who's the boss, right? Uh, who's, who's, um, who's the master uh, and who's, who's being subservient? But I think there, it's clear that there are many, many cases in which... Um, animals are very dependent upon their microbes. I mean, we we need them, as I said, to build our bodies, to maintain our health. If you look at things like mice or fish or flies that um, grow up in the absence of microbes that are raised by scientists in sterile environments, their bodies are just a mess. Loads of organ systems like bones and blood vessels and guts don't develop in the right way without those microbial signals. And then there are other animals that just rely on microbes all the time, that would just die without them. There are um, insects and worms that get uh, their nutrients, in fact, sometimes all of their nutrients from the microbes inside their bodies. Um, and you know, there are some in which um, they, the microbes provide uh, vitamins and, and other, other nutrients that um, are just missing from these, from these animals' diets and their lives. Um, you know, those are cases where if you took the microbes out of the equation, um, the hosts would just disappear. They wouldn't be able to survive. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, So there's been so much talk recently about climate change and how we as humans, being this very dominant global force, are uh, affecting that. But it seems like we're also affecting these symbioses between so many different species and their microbes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it, it's, it certainly seems to be the case. Um, you know, we we are uh, we are we may be breaking the partnership, our own partnerships with our microbes by eating very different diets, by using things like antibacterials, as I said. Um, but there are other subtler ways in which we might be influencing these partnerships all around the world. Um, 
many of the things that um, that we do that affect coral reefs, for example, like overfishing or um, nutrient pollution or um, or shipwrecks. Um, these all alter the relationships between corals and their microbiome, so turning that positive relationship into a negative, sour one. Um, and that's part of why reefs are dying around the world. Um, we know that a lot of insects depend on bacteria inside their cells for nutrients. And those bacteria are very heat sensitive. So in a world that's warming, um, it's possible that some of those microbes will get ejected as well to the detriment of their hosts. Um, so yeah, we, we are we are sort of disrupting a lot of these relationships that have built up over millions of years. And the consequences of those disruptions are still unclear. Mm -hmm. Where do you think education stands on microbes right now? Um, I think that um, it play, it, there's a huge role to play in, in sort of rehabilitating the image of microbes, in, in, both, in bolstering their reputation, um, and in showing people that they are just enemies. They're not just you know, villains that we need to destroy before they destroy us first. They are, in fact, you know, the, the things that are running the show, the dominant force of life on Earth. And, um, a really critical part of ourselves. And I think it's, it's a grander view of life, um, uh, one in which even me standing here talking to you by myself, um, I'm not alone. I am actually surrounded by and full of life. I am a world unto myself, this, this entire ecosystem contained within a single body. And everyone else is, or all the people who are listening to this podcast, or the um, students that they interact with, um, we are all living worlds um, in our own rights. And I think that's kind of a, a wonderful, majestic point of view um, that is true and is greatly underappreciated. Mm -hmm. So do you think we're heading towards a point where antibiotics will sort of go out of fashion, if you will? and probiotics using microbes to treat people for various different problems will become, you know, the new sort of, I guess, first go-to in healthcare? Well, so let, let's be clear. Antibiotics have been a tremendous good. Um, they have saved countless lives from infectious diseases. And, you know, the fact that a lot of um, infectious microbes are becoming resistant to antibiotics is a massive problem. So we need antibiotics, we need more new antibiotics, and we need to not fear or demonize them. But we need to use them sparingly and judiciously. If you've got a cold, don't prescribe antibiotics if you're a doctor, don't ask for antibiotics if you're a patient, don't give antibiotics to your kids if you're a parent. Now, in terms of other ways of treating diseases, then yes, I think there is a future for using beneficial bacteria to our advantage, but we're nowhere near that future yet. Um, current probiotic products aren't very useful. Um, they're very good at treating things like infectious diarrhea, but otherwise don't seem to provide a lot of health benefits um, because we're using the wrong bacteria. We're using ones that aren't well suited to life in the body, that aren't very common within us, um, and that um, ought to be and are being replaced by much better candidates, by species and strains that are like A-listers of the human microbiome. But that process is still underway. There's a lot more research stuff to be done. So I think we're, we're a while away. 
um, from really har harnessing all of this science to improve our own health. We're at the start of that process, not near, not at the end of it. Mm -hmm. So, looking forward, um, what um, what questions, if you could ask the microbe community at large, um, what questions would you have for them? What in that field still really needs to be answered? I think we still have um, many, many questions left. We still need a full inventory of all the strains and species that live within us. We need to know why we're all so different in our microbial communities. There are huge differences there. Um, our microbiomes are very much far more substantially than our genes do, um, but we still are largely in the dark about what's driving those differences. Um, you know, really fundamental questions of ecology that people have asked about big scale systems like forests and coral reefs, we're only starting to ask about our microbes, things like how these communities um, assemble over time, how they change with meals and medications, um, how they are influenced by a person's own experiences or genes or, or um, environments. And then how those um, how those communities can be manipulated in order to improve our health. I mean, these are all the questions that are animating the field at the moment, and um, and that I think we'll need to solve. But you know, it's it's very exciting times. Like we said at the start of this, uh, the science of the microbiome is now fashionable, and microbes are being seen as things that are worth studying rather than being ignored or being feared. I think that's that's a really important first step. Mm -hmm. So now, Ed, when I first started the book, I was thinking about asking you um, if you had a favorite microbe, but then a few chapters in, lo and behold, uh, you talk about the Wolbachia as your favorite right, one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so Wolbachia is a um, bacterium found inside the cells of something like 40% of insects. It's one of the most successful bacteria in the world. And it does a lot of things. Um, it manipulates the biology of its hosts very well. Um, but we're interested in it, I think, particularly because it has a huge uh, potential in treating diseases like, um, in preventing diseases like dengue fever and Zika. Um, because scientists have tried to load it into the mosquito that spread to those diseases. And when they have done that, they found that Wolbachia prevents those insects from spreading viruses behind those um, illnesses. Um, and they've now released a lot of these mosquitoes carrying Wolbachia into various parts of the world and are trying to see if, that, if um, they can then spread, uh, stop the spread of these diseases in places where they're a huge problem. Fantastic. Um, Ed, one last question I wanted to ask you. Um, we ask this of all of our guests. Since this podcast is primarily for teachers um, and educators, who was your favorite teacher? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, so I've benefited from... Um, I've benefited from a lot of excellent educators of my time, like science, um, science teachers who taken me aside from in classes and you know, showed me a little bit of extra about how the world works. Um, this chap called Keith Davies, who taught me when I was um, you know, very, very young, uh, sort of eight, eight to 10 years old, 
Um, he was a great influence. Um, but, you know, there have been people who weren't formal teachers who have really contributed to my science education. Um, David Attenborough, um, the eminent British naturalist and filmmaker, has been a tremendous influence on my love for nature and wildlife. Um, and then um, more recently, um, my partner, Liz Neely, who's executive director of the Story Collider, um, has been massively influential in, in helping me to think about the way science is communicated, the way stories can be used um, to, to teach people about science, um, and just you know, talking with her is a tremendous educational experience in itself. All right, excellent. Well, Ed, thank you so much for a great talk. Okay, great. Thank you very much for having me. All right, no problem. All right, cheers. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Harper Academic Calling. Subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite third-party app for more episodes. And be sure to visit us at harperacademic.com for more information about this and other great books.